this morning we want to talk just a little while and we're going to work on the matter of desire. We're going to work on our want to. If I know my heart, I want to want to do the will of God. And I believe as I look out upon this great number this morning assembled, that that's your desire too. You want to want to do the will of God. Isn't it a joy when you find yourself wanting to want to? But isn't it disturbing when you find yourself not wanting to want to do the will of God? Take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40 and in verse 8. Tell you more about this statement in a moment, but let's just read it at this juncture. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. The psalmist was talking about wanting to want to. I delight to do your will, O my God. This lesson is designed to give us some spiritual counsel that will help us want to want to. I want to, don't you? So this lesson is for that intent. And I want to lay the foundation by looking at two Bible examples. The first example is, of course, the greatest example of all, and that is the example of Jesus. Now, if you look at that statement that we began with in Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, you'll very quickly realize that that is actually a prophetic statement about Jesus. And to demonstrate that fact, to see that that is a fulfillment or was fulfilled in Jesus, I would ask you to turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10 where this statement is quoted by the Hebrews writer. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 5, Therefore when he, that is Christ, came into the world, he said, and this statement is quoted, which includes, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. And so this was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus had the want to when it came to doing his Father's will. As a matter of fact, the scriptures impress us with the fact that Jesus wanted to do the Father's will. The passages before you on the PowerPoint, I would ask that you turn to those with me. Let's begin in John chapter 4 and verse 34. What was Jesus' food? In John 4 and verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What was his will? In John chapter 5 and verse 30, he said, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. 
Now in John chapter 6 and verse 38, what was his mission? Jesus said, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And now turn back to Matthew chapter 26. The the dark, dark night of Gethsemane, just before the Lord's betrayal, as he agonizes in the garden, look at what he surrendered. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Notice, it's obvious, isn't it? That Jesus, our Lord and Master, the one in whose footsteps we strive to walk, Jesus wanted to do the Father's will. Next, I want to look at an example of the Macedonians. So turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. All of these verses have reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul encouraged the Corinthian Christians to give by the example of the Macedonians giving. And notice what he says about their example in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. And notice as you go through this chapter that he does not just talk about giving, but he's talking about the grace of giving. And that's how the Lord wants us to give. He wants us to give with grace. And so he says the Macedonians are an example of that. Look at the words in verse 2 that Paul uses to summarize their situation. The great trial of affliction and their deep poverty. That's the negative side. That's where they were physically. But look at their spiritual situation in contrast to that. Where there is great trial of affliction, he said there is abundance of joy. Where they had deep poverty, He said that abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now here's the point. Those Macedonians wanted to give. They had the want to. In verses 3 and 4, For I bear record that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. See, they want to. They wanted to to do the will of God. They wanted to give. Now, how did they do it? What prompted them to respond the way they did? The secret is in verse 5. Here's the key. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. What Paul is talking to the Corinthians about is their want to. Notice in verse 11, But now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, underscore that in your thinking, 
As there was a readiness to desire it, so also there must be a completion out of what you have. So what Paul is telling us in this passage is that the the key to Christian giving is having a willing mind. And folks, let's extend that. The key to Christian living is having a willing mind. Notice verse 12. For there is first a willing mind. It is acceptable according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. So we've laid our foundation with two examples. The example of Jesus. He wanted to do the Father's will. We want to be like him. The example of the Macedonians, they wanted to give because they'd given themselves to God. We want to live because we have given ourselves to God. Well, let's move now from the examples to the application. Preacher, how do I develop the want to? How do I reach the point in my spiritual walk that I want to want to do the will of God? I want to suggest three or four things to you. Number one, I must become more aware of my indebtedness. I must become more aware of my indebtedness. Let's stay in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for just a moment. Folks, when you think about what Jesus did, take it personal. What Jesus did, he did for me. I want to emphasize some words in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 8. For you... Know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We need to take that personal. We need to realize that what Jesus did, he did for me. He did it for you. Paul took it personally. Turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And notice what Paul says beginning in verse 12. He said, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. See, Paul took it personally. How does the awareness of our indebtedness express itself? I think it expresses itself in two words. I am. Turn to Romans chapter 1. 
I just reminded us of how Paul took it personally, his indebtedness. Notice now how he expresses that beginning in Romans 1 and verse 14. He uses that phrase, I am, three times. Each is important. In verse 13, he said, I am a debtor. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I am a debtor. I'm indebted. In verse 15, so as much as is in me, I am ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. When I sense my indebtedness, then I am ready. And then in verse 16, the theme of the book, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I am debtor. I am ready. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If I want to develop my want to to serve God, then number one, I must become more aware of my indebtedness. Number two, if I want to work on my want to, then I must love God more. Think about how God loves you. Fall in love with God all over again. Love Him more. Don't just read the Word to learn facts. Why don't just read the Word to learn commandments? But read the Word to fall in love with Him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, John said, We love Him because He first loved us. Now let's talk about that love. His love for us, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. His love for us is a compelling, it is a constraining love. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, I want you to notice the two key points. For the love of Christ compels us, some translations have constrains us, because we judge thus, here's the first point, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. First point, that constrains us about the love of God. He died for me. Second point, he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What constrains us about the love of God? What compels us about the love of God? Number one, he died for me. Number two, He died for me that I might live for him. It's interesting that the word constrained or compelled, the Greek word suneo literally means to press together with a hand. In the original language, it's this figure. I've got to do it because he loves me that way. 
Turn to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. Often quoted, may I suggest this thought relative to it. That the love of God changes our whole perspective about obeying God. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 3 he said, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The word burdensome, King James has the word grievous, from the Greek word baros, literally means his word is not heavy. His commandments are not oppressive to us. Why? Because we love him. If you want to work on you want to, grow in your love for God. Number three, to develop my want to, I must write God's word on my heart. Would you turn now to Hebrews chapter 8, where the Hebrews writer tells us that this is exactly what God wants us to do. God wants us to write his word on our heart. In Hebrews 8, towards the end of the chapter, we have a description of the New Covenant, the New Testament under which we live. Notice that verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Folks, if I want to develop my want to, my desire, then I must write his law, his words, upon my heart. That's exactly what he wants us to do. Serving God, really serving God, is very much a matter of heart. Where better to illustrate that than the Psalms? And how better to learn than from the man who had a heart that sought after God, a man after God's own heart? Turn to Psalm 119. I'll give you a number of statements very quickly and the emphasis of each statement in Psalm 119, which is a great chapter about the Word of God, but the emphasis that we'll note is on the heart. In Psalm 119 in verse 2, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. In verse 7, I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. In verse 10, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. In verse 32, I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. In verse 34, give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it 
with my whole heart. In verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to be covetous. In verse 58, I entreat your favor with my whole heart. In verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your commandments with my whole heart. In verse 80, let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. In verse 111, your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. In verse 112, I have inclined my heart to perform your testimonies forever to the very end. In verse 145, I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I keep your statutes. In verse 161, he says, Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. It's just fascinating to move through the Psalms and see how many times the heart is mentioned. Serving God, really serving God, is a matter of heart. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and on that point, let me share one other thought. So by writing God's word on our heart, serving God with our hearts, that we really become the epistles of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, and not on tables of stone, but on tables of flesh, that is, of the heart. What we want people to see in our lives must be that which is written on our hearts. How do I develop the want to? Number one, I must become more aware of my indebtedness. Number two, I must love God more. Number three, I must write God's word on my heart. And number four, if I want to develop my want to, I need to pray for God's assistance. Isn't it a wonderful thing that we have the avenue of prayer? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Now he is now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is given to us. Folks, this is a prayer that God very much wants to answer. He wants us to want to. Turn back to Psalm 51, and I will give you an example of such a prayer. Psalm 51 is David's penitent psalm after the terrible story of he and Bathsheba. His adultery, his deceit, his murder. 
Nathan came and pointed a straight finger in his face and said, you're the man. And David became penitent. In that penitent psalm, Psalm 51, listen to the prayer of verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's a prayer we need to pray. In verse 17, David said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So if I want to develop my desire, my want to, I must become more aware of my indebtedness. I must love God more. I must write God's word on my heart, and I must pray for assistance. Our time is gone. Let me quickly suggest these conclusions. First of all, want to has transforming power. That's why I want to want to. And that's why you should. Our lives can undergo this wonderful transformation. But it cannot happen without our cooperation. I love the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Eli is now taking care of young Samuel. And during the night, the Lord calls out to Samuel. He thinks it's Eli that's called for him. And he goes to him and wants to know what he wants. He says, go back to bed. It happens a second time, and he goes to, to Eli and says, what do you want? And he said, go back to bed. It happens the third time that God calls out to Samuel and he thinks it's Eli and he goes to Eli and Eli perceived what was going on. And he said, now, if the voice calls on you again, then you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so when the Lord called out to Samuel the next time, Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Folks, that's the only way we can have the transforming power of want to is to say, speak, Lord, for your servant obeys. We must give ourselves to God. What does Romans 12, 1 say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He doesn't want us to offer an animal sacrifice. He wants us to be the sacrifice. He doesn't want us just to put something in the plate. He wants us to get in the plate. Like an old Indian out in the west, the missionary was preaching and the Indian was being moved by what he was preaching about God's plan of salvation. The old chief abruptly got up and he went out and he came walking in and he had a blanket. And he said, chief, give blanket to Jesus Christ. The missionary went on preaching a few minutes. The old chief got up and he went out and he came walking in with the horse. And he said, chief, give horse to Jesus Christ. The missionary went on preaching, talking about how Jesus had died for each one of us. The old chief come walking up front and said, chief, give chief to Jesus Christ. And that's what we've got to do. 
that's what we've got to do. Do you need to change your spiritual life? Do you need to change your approach to your spiritual life? Very simple illustration, we're finished. Acts chapter 8, that Ethiopian noble man was reading the word of God. Philip joined the chariot, asked him if he understood what he was reading. He admitted that he did not. He began with the same scripture, verse 35, he preached to him Jesus. The Bible indicates in verse 36 that when they came to sufficient water, the eunuch said, see, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? FLT, Fuqua's literal translation, why can't I be baptized? Here was a man who wanted to. They stop the chariot after the confession of Christ. They stop the chariot. They both go down to the water. Into the water, Philip baptized him. They both come up out of the water, and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Folks, if you want to go on your way rejoicing, it begins with want to. And there's no way that you can go on your way rejoicing when your approach to religion is have to. I want to want to. If you're in this assembly and you are not a Christian today, you should want to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a Christian but your life is not right with God, you should want to get your life right with God today. And if you've got to want to, you'll see the follow through. Want you today. Write his word on your heart. And live it out in your life. A few weeks ago when I was answering questions on a gospel broadcast network program, I was asked the question about what the best Bible translation is. And I told them, I said, I can answer that question without a moment's hesitation, and everyone will, do, will agree with my answer. Brooks Boyd kind of cocked his head and looked at me. Because that's a very controversial subject. No. The absolute best translation of the Word of God is the translation of the written Word into our lives. Won't you write on your heart and in your life today? Don't you want to? Then do it, won't you come?